I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome back, everyone, to the Playing Footsie podcast. Uh, we're here today with Steve D, Steve W. Uh, a lovely episode we've got in store for you today. Um, Steve D's mocked up uh, the new Playing Footsie Risk Calculator. Uh, he's mocked it up uh, a little bit of a copy from the Motley Fool, uh, David Gardner, who pretty much invented most of this. But he's tweaked this to be more useful towards us and maybe some of our stocks. Uh, so what we're going to do today is something different. Is we're going to take a couple of our stocks and we're going to try and apply them to this calculator. First of all, Steve D, Steve W, uh, you're here today. What have you been up to this week and uh, how has your week in stocks been? Have you been blessed by the stock gods with many returns? No. Uh, it's been a pretty flat <laughs> it's been a pretty flat week. Um, it started off strong, it's died off. We're now on uh was it we're on Tuesday, aren't we? So yeah, it's been a pretty a pretty flat one for me really. Back to back to scratch. How about you, Steve? A little bit up from scratch and only a little bit, but I was thinking as I looked at my things at the end of last week that I'm up about two hundred quid and I thought, actually sort of two hundred quid I'd take that every week, to be honest. It's only about a percent on my um, portfolio. Not even that, really. But um, I'm thinking that's actually kind of nice. I mean, it'll be gone again by next week. Don't worry. But just thinking that these sort of small steps forward are kind of, I guess, where I'm at at the moment. And yeah, it's reasonably flat, but in the right direction just for me. But And I guess that's what we're kind of looking for in our stocks, really. We want to be making small steps forward, but not making the two steps back because... That would be a horrible sort of crash situation, I think, that we'd be in there is when over a, the course of like years or something where everything just goes up one step and down two steps. We want to avoid that. And one way we can avoid this sort of thing is by mitigating risk and maybe trying to find some stocks that are on the safer side and in general, most of the public will want to buy and be part of uh, businesses that are good and and businesses that are sound anti-fragile was a was a term that a new term that was uh opened up to me by um what's his name brian feroldi brian feroldi uh listening to his youtube channel uh recently very interesting he's got a very different way of looking at it but he's friends with david gardner who makes who made this risk calculator and if you wanted to get a hold of this risk calculator what steve d has done he's basically taken the questions altered them slightly so they are better for our stocks and then he's put them into a spreadsheet for us and you can you'll be able to get that in a link in the description below hopefully and also it'll be in the resources section on our discord uh discord link will be in the description below as well if you wanted to join that and have a chat with us there's about two thousand people in there at the moment all talking about loads of different stocks and showing up all sorts of news. There's, in fact, a lot of times now I get my new stocks from the Discord, just from looking at there. Someone, someone will suggest something and go, oh, what do you think of the value on this? And I'll take a look. And it, most of the time it looks great. 
you've been using the Discord for anything fun? Because you're both in there. A lot. <laughs> I basically use it to wind up Wayne. Um, yeah, I just like to pop my head into the uh, Wayne's <laughs> Penny Emporium, which I've usually changed its name to something else by then, and uh, just see what the, what the Penny Stock geezers are talking about. Yeah, I do love a bit of Wayne. He's got some... He, it, to be fair, like... I know he puts into a lot of risk. I don't know if he said he would say he does a lot of risk, but uh, I would say that he does do a lot of risk. But he really does look, and he and he has found some. He's got that sort of. Some of his stocks are one hundred. I mean, even like three hundred percent up, and then some of them, some of them are a bit nasty, ain't they? But uh, maybe, maybe Wayney, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe you can put a few of your stocks through this and put them on the Discord, uh, and other people as well. If you want to put them through this. Uh, this uh thing this uh risk calculator that we've we've come up with have a have a look at it so steve take it away you describe what you've uh, come up with okay so basically it's a series of 25 um yes or no questions so there there is only like a minimal amount of research to really be done some of the things um we'll provide some color on in this podcast so you can you can go back and and just really understand what the question means and why we ask it but basically the idea is that you go through and you answer yes and no yes is good no is risk um so if you get to the bottom of here it'll calculate all the times you've you've typed in n for no and it'll give you a score of 25 now the higher the number the riskier the stock is um so yeah it's quite an interesting sort of um sort of experiment and and it really gets away from you having that that medium risk stock where you think well, what does that mean Do you know what, I mean? well, what does medium risk actually mean well with this now you have a score out of uh, out of 25 and and you know exactly how risky your stock is and from that you can then work out your portfolio risk as a whole and if you think you know your stocks are going up much faster than the market and much uh, and they're going down much faster than the market when we have red days then perhaps they, your risk score might need tweaking downwards a little bit um, anything you want to add on to that, guys? That's good. Uh, well, I've just put it up as a screen share. I think we'll keep the screen share up in, on here and see if we can put that onto the podcast as well. So if you wanted to look at it in the way that we're using it, you might have to look at it on YouTube rather than the podcast. Uh, but also it'll be ready for you to download uh, as well. Um, yeah, risk-wise, I think it's important. I'm big on risk. Uh, I'm big on trying to calculate risk and if and any tool that we've got which can help me figure out what the most important parts of a company are i'm up for and you know we've been through this i've got three of my companies up here uh that i've looked at and tried to decide how risky they are uh and the questions in here all are basically things that you really want your company to be doing or characteristics of your company to have and uh, definitely wants to look out for. Uh, we'll probably discuss how important some of these questions are as we go through and discuss the limits of them as well. So how do you want to start this? Yeah, well, I think we'll just take it from the top, really. And the, the, the first five questions are about the company itself. Um, there's a little sort of touch on, on, on financials and we'll go through competition. We'll go through the stock. We'll go through some founder um, and management questions. And then the last ones are some specialized questions, which have a, sort of a bit of a variety feel to them. You can swap and change some of these out. It is quite subjective, some of the questions. Some of them aren't. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, let's let's just crack on. Do you guys want to introduce the companies that you're you're going to do today? Okay, sure. Uh, so yeah, I'm happy to go first on this one. Uh, I've picked a company that is one of the kind of newer additions to my portfolio, and it's one that I'm really keen to have a look at on this because. I think it's a really good company, but I also think it might be a slightly risky investment. It's a little bit towards the upper end of where I wanted to buy anything. The company's called Landstar. Um, it's a trucking company. They're an asset light trucking company, which means that they basically uh, just own a bunch of trailers. They don't own the tractors that pull them along, and they rely on a kind of network of uh, drivers pulling for them uh, in order to do various kind of uh, freight intermodal um, hauling, that kind of thing. Uh, so... There are, and uh, they always pay off their debts. Mm -hmm. They always pay off their debts, don't they? They do. Uh, Land stars. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one watches Game of Thrones. <laughs> that's a that's a Game of Thrones joke that no one's gonna get. I've never watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've never watched Game of Thrones. Wow. Something's not making. Oh the my edit, is god. It? Right. No, this should be making the edit because what you guys should be. Wow. Well, I the can't thing is, is you've the, never the, watched Game the of Thrones. Game of Thrones is that I hate waiting for stuff. So I thought I'll watch it all when it's all finished, and then the ending, by all accounts, was probably the worst thing to happen to TV. So now I'm not enthused <laughs> to watch it at all. I thought that was when AT and T bought Time Warner that the worst thing happened to TV. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can't believe that I had a, a Lannister joke there that I just came up on the, with on the fly, and I'm um, sure there's hundreds, no one got it. Hundreds of people watching this, laughing at your great joke, Paul. Yeah. Um. <laughs> okay uh, so yeah my i decided to do three stocks because i wanted some variety uh one of them is uh a stock that i think that me and steve d are involved in steve w probably not involved in uh because i don't think he goes for this sort of thing um uh, it's a very speculative stock in nanox and it will show this is a good uh, tool for showing you the difference between the speculative SAR stocks and maybe some of the old dinosaur company uh, stocks as well. And then I did uh, Avgo uh, Broadcom because that's probably one of my favorite companies right now to, to look at. And I kind of did it just for my own um, benefit, just to see what... Uh, the, like how de-risked it really is and it does seem like it's done quite well and then uh, Rio Tinto the FTSE 100 stock, mining stock I thought I wanted to look at I think um, that one that one interested me as well uh, did you have any Steve did you did you have one that you wanted to do or are you the ringmaster no, here no no I'll be the ringmaster today you two are my Debbie okay. McGee's <laughs> um, okay, so let's um, let's crack on then. So the first question in the company section is: Was the company profitable during the last quarter and the last twelve months? Now we ask both because it shows a short-term and mid-term um, profitability. So and it shows that obviously if you're profitable in the last quarter, that could be a blip. Um, if you're profitable in just the last twelve months, that could show perhaps an asset sale of some description. So it's um, it's key that we get both, so we can see both uh, both sides of profitability. And uh, Paul, do you want to go first? Yeah. So uh, Nanox is a very speculative stock. It's very early in its life cycle, so no would be the answer because I don't think it's going to be profitable for probably ten, fifteen years. 
Uh, Broadcom is a very profitable company, uh, benefiting heavily from the semiconductor shortage at the moment. So that's going to be doing pretty well. And Rio Tinto, I think, was pretty lucky. Uh, not uh, Rio Tinto was very lucky to be profitable, I think. I think it's benefited heavily from the co- commodities spike recently. So uh, COVID probably did hit them pretty hard, but... Uh, because of that spike, I think it. I think it did just edge profitable, both twelve months and last quarter. So, uh, yeah, the Rio Tinto is an interesting one that survived this and done exceptionally well. By the way, I need to point out as a stock price, did exceptionally well. What about you uh, with the Lannisters, uh, Steve W? The Lannisters had a quiet year last year. They were profitable, um, <laughs> but uh, and they were profitable in the last quarter. The last quarter, I think they had a record quarter. So they're an industrials company, which means they're doing well in this kind of reflation, rebuilding thing, not dissimilar to Rio Tinto, I think. But uh, yeah, so they, if you look from sort of 2019 and you look at 12 trailing months for the last uh, year or so, they've basically gone in a V. So they've gone from 228 million in profitability down to 192 last year during COVID and back up again to 228 now. So, yep, profitable on both of those. Cool. Okay, so question two. Um, was the company cash flow positive during the last quarter and the last 12 months? Steve, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I can do. Uh, they stayed profitable, uh, Landstar in this case. they Their cash flow, or free cash flow I'm looking at here, has just dipped slightly over the last couple of years. I think probably some of that... Um, hold up making its way out of the system but yep they've been profitable uh cash flow positive sorry for both of the last last quarter and the last 12 months yeah nanox is a very speculative company it's always going to be the same and and that's why this company i think is going to be high risk in general and there's going to be a lot of no's on my uh on my tick here um it's I don't, even, I don't even think it's even close to getting sales at the moment. I think it's still very much a prototype, even though they talk a big talk. Avgo, Broadcom, cash flow. Wow, what a cash flow business it, it is. It's just, it's like Intel, really. It's very, very similar to Intel, except it's not got all the bad news. And uh, it's just generating so much cash. And I think it's well behind its valued uh, cash at the moment so that's good and Rio Tinto another heavy cash flow business but very much supported by um, the commodity spike and in fact the commodity spike did them so well that they paid a special dividend this year and uh, that was very nice going into my account as well so cash flow very very important for these last two companies okay and this really is risky I would say for the same reason that the first question is risky really is that we're still looking at short and long term uh, short and mid-term business performance um and obviously um a company generating cash flow is uh far less risky than a company that that isn't generating cash flow so do you guys want to give a quick word about how you found this information uh where you'd go to look for it yeah i'd say i i liked um i like cash flow wise profitable uh, i can i can go with on last quarter and 12 months but cash flow Really, I want to be seeing three to five years, in my opinion. I want to be really looking. I'd like to extend that to maybe quarter, last 12 months, and three years, or even and five years would be nice. But then again, I think you would cut out a lot of uh, very young growth stocks in that, on that opinion, wouldn't you? You'd, there's not many companies there that 
would fit in. But then again, if you've got a company that's two years that positive cash flow, that's probably quite good, as long as it uh, was leading from its ne- like deep negative cash flow and it gradually led to this positive cash flow. If you've got a company that's two years into its positive cash flow, that'd be great. But yes, um, cash flow wise, I go for free cash flow. Some people go for oper- operating cash flow. That is, oh god, I'm. I'm I've got to get the words right <laughs> now, haven't I? Um, that is operating cash flow minus capex. So um, you can find that in the balance sheet. That's where I generally go to look at it, and you come out with your free cash flow number. Luckily, lots and lots of places on the internet will do this calculation for you, so you can find it somewhere. Yeah, Yahoo Finance. I think if you go to yep. um, balance sheet, scroll to the bottom. I think it's one of the last entries on the balance sheet. Okay, question three. Does the business rely on recognizable branding that is truly valued by its um, by its buyer base? Um, now, this is um, this is kind of an odd question. This is a very motley mm. fool question, I think, is that they they, they do love yeah. brand. Mm. So, Steve Landstar, does it rely on recognizable? I don't brand? know uh, to be honest with you. I don't know its buyer base that well. And this is one of the questions I found yeah. really interesting. This and the next question, uh, because it encouraged me to fill in this in, dig a little bit deeper into a company than I normally would in particular kind of areas. I've written no because I'm not sure, and I don't think it does. I'm not entirely certain about that. Mm-hmm. But I was interested um, in this question, as you kind of hinted, because instinctively i tend to think the opposite of brands i think eventually people don't really care about brands very much so i kind of instinctively thought oh it's riskier to be trying to leverage your brand here your brand seems like a kind of weird intangible thing that people might attack but uh, the guys at motley fool feel differently about this they regard this as a kind of uh, de-risking feature rather than a kind of risking feature i wrote no for landstar anyway yeah i couldn't really get my head around this one very well because I find it hard to separate myself from certain types of businesses compared to, and usually business to business versus business to customer businesses. So like brand wise, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, anything like that, I can, I can immediately relate and I can go, okay, this, these people are extremely excited about Apple. Their Apple has got such a strong brand and people won't leave it. Um, so so i can get my head around that however when you come to a business to business side of it are people really looking at rio tinto like businesses going oh yeah i love rio tinto we need to get our we need to get our iron ore from rio tinto so i feel like it doesn't apply to all all companies I would or at least it's it's not as strong one of the companies that might might scupper that idea for you is probably salesforce i would say that they have mm. a brand that you know, is truly valued by its buyer base, and that is predominantly a business mm. to business. Another one would maybe, maybe be mm. Adobe. Um, so it works yeah. better with tech companies, I think, on a business to business level. Yeah, you're right. But outside you're right. of right. um, business to business, it probably works better for, you know, your Coca Colas, your Nikes, your Adidas. So, I mean, that's one of the things that, yeah, because Sorry, because what. I, what I was going to say was that I could actually apply this to Broadcom and I was quite confident to apply this to Broadcom because Apple won't go anywhere else other than itself maybe like that's it's that's Broadcom's inherent, inherent risk there uh, it won't go anywhere else for RF inhibitors and um, there there isn't really anyone else that ca- can do it so I, I it, obviously it doesn't apply to all but I like what you're saying with the the tech 
uh, element of it, especially tech, which people are in touch with. And Salesforce is a, is a massive example of that, isn't it? Yeah. So I think definitely. you're dead right on Rio Tinto, by the way, here, Paul. So um, one of the things that I kind of read early on in my investing career, if that's not kind of a weird thing to say for someone who's not been investing that long, is that kind of basic materials producers almost never have any kind of brand power. Their stuff trades on a commodities market. They are price takers, not price setters. Uh, for them, what it comes down to is just how cheap can you get the stuff out the ground and how much of it have you got? Because you, no one's going to pay more for Rio Tinto's iron ore compared to anyone else's, basically. Iron ore's iron ore, um, and it's a kind of undifferentiated sort of product. So I think you're dead right with where you filled that in. The only thing... Yeah, the only the only thing I could think of that was quite different to that was like maybe they've got a better transport route or something like that. Uh, that'd be the only thing I can really yeah, think of, that, and it didn't stand up to me either. It didn't stand up. That was one of the companies that I think uh, was probably going to jump out to me was maybe Vulcan Materials may have may have a tick in this box because Vulcan Materials has a very very good um, probably we'll call it a moat if you want around its supply and distribution. Um, so perhaps, perhaps that might be one. But anyway, we'll mm. move on. Steve, uh, did you? Um, so for Broadcom and for Nanox, are they, is that a no and a yes? Yeah, Nanox basically. Yeah, I, well, I was really struggling with Nanox as well because it's basically just the brand, it's right? The That's brand. all Nanox is at the minute. So, but I said no anyway. I, I did go no. And Broadcom was a yes. Yes, Broadcom was a yeah. Okay. Um, so the next question is: Has the company's uh, diversified its buyer base so that no one company is responsible for more than twenty percent of its revenue? And this is essentially about um, customer concentration. So uh, the idea is, if you if you have a company that takes up fifty percent of your revenue and they disappear, um, then go and find a new supplier. Then fifty percent of revenue disappears overnight. So that is inherently inherently risky, even if you're a key supplier to this business and they wouldn't ever go anywhere mm. ever okay do you want to yeah. start off with nanox paul yeah uh well actually well with nanox because it doesn't have any real key customers although it supposedly has five thousand um orders supposedly from different areas of the world it might do it, it might and that, that's that's where i kind of got, got to with nanox i said no obviously because it doesn't sell anything yet but i was i was very keen to say actually it probably does and could we being being a, spe, a very speculative stuff could we possibly apply the tam to this is do you think this is something that you could look at the tam and go okay it will have a diversified revenue stream you see one of the things that that you you the thing about the calculator is, is that it's not set in stone. You don't tick all the boxes off as no, yeah. and then you never come back and look at it again. Because if something is out of your risk range, there's nothing wrong with reassessing it in a couple of quarters' time and coming down and saying, mm. actually, yeah. now they've sold 10,000 units and you know they've gone to 10,000 different places. So that is diversified revenue. You know, Obviously, when the risk mm. score comes down a little bit, then maybe you know you might still fancy making a purchase. Obviously, there's plenty more to yeah. it than that. So I yeah, so I guess we're just taking this at, you know, we've got to go for the questions as they are. And currently it's a no. But I would like to see, you know, if Nanox proves it's, uh, that it's got its concept and it can scale, then potentially yes. because Well, the whole business is designed around the word yes in this box, to be honest with you. With its SaaS going on and uh, it wants to get into, it wants to break X-ray machines into, you know, emerging markets as well, which don't have currently have x-rays 
And that's just um, it was some, it was one that confused me. Rio Tinto uh, just said yes because it basically just gives to whoever wants it. So I was happy to go yes. And Avgo was a close yes, a very close yes was um, was the answer because Broadcom is a bit of a, a bit of an iffy one. It was I'm going to call it a close yes because past probably five years it's had 15% of its revenue that's gone to Apple. And very, very recently, probably the past two years, it went up to 20%. So 20% of its business comes from Apple because it basically provides probably, I think it's like 50 RF inhibitors into one iPhone, which is crazy. But it also does diversify out to pretty much every other phone on the market as well. So I, I said yes, because it's like Broadcom is so, so much more and it's got its car uh it's got its automobile stuff coming very soon which is going to bring that market share down a little bit um or at least that revenue diversity down a little bit so i've said yes just to keep it there but it's it's very close very very close one uh if go on and that leaves us with Landstar, Steve. Yeah, i've got Landstar has diversified across these i'm i'm not entirely certain of this because when I looked on Landstar's website, this is something that's not obviously disclosed. And when I mentioned this to you in conversation before, you did point out that pointing, posting this thing on your own kind of website might just be an opportunity for your competitors to read it and work out who to go and tap up with a better deal. Uh, so not everywhere is entirely transparent about this, and maybe for good reasons. But based on the way their revenues break down in terms of coming from different areas and different things that they do, so... Um, freight versus intermodal and that sort of thing, I came to the conclusion that it's probably the case that they're diversified enough here. Hmm. This is subjective, remember, as Mm. well. So um, with this question, if it's difficult to find the answer and you're not certain, it's up to you to make a judgment. Mm. Now, I would err on the side of caution, maybe, and and I would maybe put, well, I don't know, so I have to go with no. But if you if you look down that revenue and you see they've got hundreds of customers, both retail and commercial, then the likelihood is that answer is probably yes. But it's up to you to try and make that distinction. And mm. and like I say, the the score at the end is is only as good as the answers that you put in, isn't it? So um, the way to get that question, the answer to that question, I would I would search for the company name and customer concentration, and uh, it may or may not come up. It tends to be the older the industry, the less information they give out. Um, and anyway, the last question in the company section is, does the company receive positive word of mouth from its users? Now, this is a tricky question to get the mm. answer to. Um, for some stocks, I found the best way to do it is actually Twitter and Reddit of all mm. the places. Um, you can tend to find somebody complaining about something, and then you can generally get a gist from the feedback of whether people say, huh, I never have that problem with Landstar, or hey, I never have that problem with Broadcom. And you can get a nice feel for uh, what people actually feel about the the, um, the quality of the company. So, Paul, do you want to kick us off? Nanops, does it receive positive weather? Yeah, I was thinking Trustpilot, um, anything like that, really. That's good, yeah, you for customer-facing uh, stuff, yeah. It's Facebook Trustpilot. Marketplace, anything like that was, was a pretty good one. Um, uh, it's basically no for all of them. I said yes because to Broadcom because it... It's pretty much the only company that does what it does, and it does do it very well. So I, I made an assumption, really, there. But Rio Tinto, who's going to sit there again and go, oh, yeah, 
go down to Rio Tinto and get your get your copper for your for your new electric vehicle. I, I just didn't see it happening. So it was no. no. To be fair, Broadcom should probably be a no as well. And Nanox, uh, Nanox is not doing very well word for, word of mouth at the moment anyway. So uh, as if anyone wants to know just a little bit of detail on that, Nanox is getting hit short selling because nobody really knows if their product actually works. And it's got a lot of um, strong rumor about it that it's just putting out a fake product, which is very possible in this day and age. However, apparently radiologists who have seen the product do think it's great. So again, it's subjective, but I went on the safe side and went with a no. Um, yeah, I'm impressed you managed to find that much stuff on Nanox Paul. So Landstar, I my instinct <laughs> is it probably does because the way it works is by basically having a massive network. The bigger the network, the more people are incentivized to use it and work for it, and the bigger the network becomes again. So I assume there's something positive going on there, but without any kind of tangible proof of that, I put no. Okay. Okay, so that brings us to the end of the company section. So Nanox is. Uh, well, I would say it's in the lead, but it's in <laughs> it's definitely not. <laughs> um, it's managed to accumulate five points of risk um, with Rio Tinto and Landstar with two, and Broadcom at the moment has uh, has managed to get through that unscathed. So the next one is it's pretty uh, it's pretty quick fire. This so we can we can quite quickly get through this with some yes and no's. And if you've got any sort of colour to add to it, um, then feel free. But the first question in the financial section is, did the company grow its sales by 10 to 40% annualized in the last three years? And, and the reason we ask this and the reason why it has such a weird band is that anything above that growth level is very, very unsustainable. Um, if you're growing at 50, 60, 70%, that can only happen for a very short period of time. And the idea is that when that growth starts to slow, the... Um, the exuberance in the price is likely to follow that. So that makes that inherently riskier than a company that is growing at a steady rate. So Steve, yes or no, Landstar, did it grow sales by 10 to 40% annualized in the last three years? No, we had a difficult 2020 for COVID sort of reasons and that's pushed us back into single digits growth. They have grown, but uh, not in the 10 to 40 range. How was it doing before COVID, Steve? Uh, I'll I'll have a quick look. Um, yeah, that was in general going along uh, within that kind of range that yeah. Steve's talking about. Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's it. Okay. So if I look back over a sort of ten year sweep, it's yeah, going more it's interesting because COVID is such a strange year, and some biz and I think some businesses are going to get looked over because of COVID. And I think that's what's happening, particularly in value at the moment and why you're getting the sort of recovery play at the moment. But um, yeah, to say the only, only the world, only the tech world won last year and that, and they're the only products or they're the only companies we should be investing in. I think that's a little bit short-sighted at the minute uh, because of this COVID anomaly. I reckon there are some businesses out there that you can, you can find that might not be affected by COVID or might have been affected by COVID, but might not be as bad as what you think are. Um, None, none spring to mind right now, though, to be honest with you. Uh, so, uh, yes, Nanox. Uh, no, it's it's just terrible uh, as far as revenue and uh, growing sales goes. So, uh, although I suppose it has, really. I mean, it's, it's only been public for a, a year, but I suppose it has grown. 
um, its revenue, but it's probably grown its revenue by more like 400% or something like that. So it's probably well out. Uh, uh, Broadcom is perfect. It's right on, right on schedule. It's it's in a it's in a tailwind uh, sector. It's it's growing at. Oh, I think it was twenty eight percent. That's going to be off the top of my head, though. I, I don't know. And I've got down Rio Tinto as a note. I think it was seven percent. So it just missed out uh, over the past three years. Uh, that's all off the top of my head, though. So I, I can't remember the exact numbers. So that's a no for Rio, a yes for Broadcom, a no for Nanox, and a no for Landstand. Mm. Okay. Um, can the company operate its business for the next three years without external funding? This is really a debt question. So this is more aimed at um, finding risk in a growth company. So if they're not yet profitable, not free cash flow positive, do they have the cash reserves to be able to carry on um, for the next three years without needing to either raise money, raise debt, or sell shares, or dilute, or anything of anything really to raise cash. Hmm. Do you want to kick us off with Nanox? Uh, Nanox, yeah, needs needs a lot of cash. <laughs> Nanox just needs investment. It is getting its investment, so you're not. There might be something to add onto there. It is getting its Foxconn investments, isn't it? And a lot of people are very interested in it. So it is getting its money, but it would need it. Its cash runway isn't isn't brilliant. I don't think. I think it's got a year and a half left, something like that. Uh, Broadcom is a cash cow, and that has plenty of cash running on it. Um, I think it. I think I looked at it, and it was five years actually. It basically Broadcom doesn't need to sell anything for the next five years, and it will still survive. That's what I saw. It was about five years. Uh, Rio Tinto is less good. Um, it has a lot of debt. Um, by the way, Broadcom has a lot of debt. But it's very, very manageable. I think it was about 50% debt to, debt to equity. Rio Tinto has a lot of debt. And unfortunately, being a FTSE 100 dinosaur company, the, you might be able to interpret some of that debt as uh, needing to pay for the dividend. However, good year this year, paid extra dividend. It's a lot to, lot to look into there, I think. Um, definitely, you can't just take this form as golden and just go yep it's a score of four just buy it buy it buy it i think there's a lot more to learn about there and a lot a lot to learn about the culture of the business that you're you're picking there and rio tinto might be one of those ones that you want to look at and go okay is this dividend here is it growing properly do they keep it there or do they need to pull it back um when things get a bit tough and rio tinto that's that's unfortunately the case you giving Rio a no then? I actually or... gave it a yes because it can survive. Uh, it's got a lot of cash right now. Okay. Uh, it's yeah, it can do it, but uh, it shouldn't normally. If the if it if the commodity prices go cyclical, then yeah, it'll it'll struggle. Okay, and Steve Landstar. Uh, Landstar's absolutely fine here. So um, this company is one that I think of as having no debt. Uh, strictly, I think it does, but it's in a position where all of its liabilities, both short and long term, are covered by its current assets, and then there's change out of that as well. So debt-wise, this is this is fine, I think. Okay, cool. Uh, so the next question is, does the company maintain a high standard of disclosure with, within SEC 
or regulatory guidelines. So basically, this is what you will probably see more often with penny stocks and things like that. Are they getting in trouble with the SEC because they're, they've got poor reporting standards or they're missing accounts or anything like that? Um, really, you, you want a company that is on top of that uh, and, and meets basically the, the basics of the regulatory frameworks. So I think this one's a pretty quick fire mm. one. So Paul, Nanox, is it meeting its SEC regulatory guidelines? Technically... I guess, technically, but there's a lot of rumour, right, around regulation in particular. And so I I don't think this is as cut as dry cut and dry as you think, you know. Uh, Nanox is a scary one because it's a it's a new startup company that has really only prototypes and lots of things. Uh Broadcom perfectly fine, I couldn't find anything. Rio Tinto, I put yes, but regulatory it's always getting in trouble, right? It's always blowing up someone's backyard or running over some old ladies or something like that i don't know what it does it's basically an evil company in most in most countries so uh <laughs> so i did put yes because yeah i suppose it does but it gets fined all the time so uh maybe it should be a no is that is that down to you know your own personal opinion or is that I, I, with this one, I would be more interested in the accounting. That's what area. I was thinking. I think it's more of an accounting point of view because it's in the financing section, so finances section. Yeah. So it's really about are they filing their accounting yeah. time? Are they meeting their guidelines? Are they filing all their various, um, you know, for insider selling and things like that? And I think Rio is probably they've probably got a million people in their accounting <laughs> department doing that. How about Landstar, Steve? Is that is that one? As far as I'm aware, it is. Yeah. So I've not heard any kind of rumor or talk of anything that's that might be going wrong there so i've put that as a yes cool um okay next question so would an intermediate level investor which is probably what we'd say we all are we're maybe just getting out mm-hmm. of beginner stage we're not complete idiots <laughs> would an in- intermediate level investor find the company's financial statements and disclosures easy to understand so basically this is just a question mm. of you know when you look at their financial statements are they worded in such a way that you can understand them or are they complete, just complete mess and they're almost out there to try and confuse you? Oh, that's interesting. I interpreted it slightly differently for what it's worth. Um, uh, I think the answer is yes in either case on Landstar, but here's how I kind of interpreted it. So some balance sheets and so on I find difficult to understand. So I find ones like uh, McDonald's and Starbucks where their total liabilities are bigger than their total assets by quite a long way and they always seem to be that way mm. uh, I find those hard to understand how that's supposed to work basically companies that have sort of negative working capital as a as a kind of matter of course like P&G does that so their short term liabilities are bigger than their short term assets that's the kind of thing that takes a bit of understanding for someone like me to try and figure out how is this not a huge problem or something like that things where the book value appears to be going down that is also something that I I find sort of challenging to understand of a sort. None of that is true of Landstar. Uh, so I put that, yes, I would find I find this reasonably straightforward to understand as a, as a set of financial statements. Yeah, I had it exactly the same. Uh, it's, that's quite interesting because I interpreted it almost word for word there with Steve W. And exactly the same. I was even thinking about McDonald's and Starbucks when I said it because of their, it's, it's dodgy, isn't it? Their depreciation in their... Um, and their book value is very it's dodgy. It's, it's, I don't know. But um, as far as uh, Nanox goes, uh, they're all pretty simple. Uh, Nanox has a speculative company. You've just got to look at the shares outstanding and the, and the finance coming in. And the other two are pretty big businesses. There's a, there's a lot of 
acquisitions that go on with these companies, which can make it a little bit harder for intermediate. And maybe you do need a bit more of an advanced head on you to really get your head around how these acquisitions affects the balance sheet and and affect the income statement. But in general, I think they're they're pretty much uh, cash in cash out uh, companies. So quite quite easy to understand, I think. So the last question in the financial section would be, over the most recent fiscal year, did the company report a return on equity of 15% or higher? Which one of you wants to chime in on return on equity and just give a brief description on what, what that is? So I'll do that if you like. Uh, return on equity is calculated sometimes in slightly different ways, but basically it's some sort of income number. So it might be your gap income, it might be your EBITDA, it might be your operating earnings, depending on which company you're looking at and how you prefer to do these things. But it's basically that as a percentage of your book value. So if you take your uh, preferred income number, divide that by your uh, shareholders equity number, multiply that by 100, and now is that number bigger or smaller than 15 uh, is what comes out here, basically. This is an interesting number, actually, I think. And I think it's an interesting way of measuring things because it applies better to some companies than others. So in some cases, the book value of the company is negative, like McDonald's and Starbucks. In other cases where there's loads of debt, the equity number becomes really small. So the return on equity becomes really high, um, although that's because there's loads of debt in the company, not because the company's doing a kind of amazing job here. So I find this a really interesting one to kind of look at. But Landstar's done really well on this. Landstar has been high 20s or higher for the last decade. Uh, so yes, in the case of my one. Uh, yeah, mine's uh, pretty pretty similar. Uh, Nanox, no, as usual. Um, both the other two had yes. Broadcom had uh, one yes. And Rio Tinto had yes as well. But again, touch on Steve's point there. Debt comes into, uh, into play here. And you've got to really have a look at that and see. I feel like both of them are pretty clear on the debt, but Rio Tinto obviously just, you know, you just want to keep your eye out on, on dinosaur footsie companies, don't you? You just want to keep your eye on them a little bit more. Oh, BM's going to be in the, in the chat again. <laughs> Someone is off. Um, right, next section is on the competition, which is quite an interesting um, section, I think. I think it's got three really interesting questions. They're probably my three favourite questions out of, the, out of the lot, to be honest. Um, so let us kick off with is the company free of any direct competitors that possess substantially stronger financial resources now this is an interesting question because I, I actually as I went through it and I don't know about you guys it made me look at the competition a little bit yeah. more than I had done yeah. you know other than just to give a glance over what they were and actually there was a, a few times I stumbled across companies that were in in far better positions than than what I expected, and other times when, especially companies like Adyen, which when I tried to compare them to, um, you know, companies that were loosely in the same sort of sectors, and I found that Adyen was in a much stronger position than I thought mm. it was. So, um, Steve, do you want to kick us off with Landstar? Sure, Landstar has some competitors, none that do quite the same thing, but there's there's competition in kind of trucking and hauling and that sort of thing. There's also a little bit of competition from rails, but I sort of decided to ignore that a little bit because I tend to think the difference between trucking and uh, rails is is quite different, and so I left those aside. But on that basis, I went with no. There are other good, strong competitors in this. It looks to me like quite a well-run sector, but uh, since a load of bankruptcies in sort of uh, earlier in the decade, but... Uh, I went with, um, yes, it's free of direct competitors here uh, that possess substantially stronger financial resources. So I was leaning on the last part of that, the mm -hmm. idea that there are lots of competitors, but I don't see any of them as a kind of bigger financial player here. Okay. Paul? I found this one hard to do. 
Not because of the substantially stronger resources, because I think that one pretty much speaks for itself if you just have a quick look. But the direct competitors thing, I found it quite hard to to justify what a direct competitor is because Nanox is you know, supposedly making a brand new product that's, that's taken to market or a revolutionary new product. And obviously it's com- direct competitors are the entire X-Ray world, so GE. Like when I did it, yeah, when I did it, I, I compared GE Siemens and I was like, whoa, Nanox has got to be. Yeah, there. that was it. I, I, you know, yeah, so I put I put no. Um, but it, it, it depends what your class is a direct, direct one. And I found it very hard to do uh, Broadcom and Rio Tinto. I mean, Rio Tinto is probably quite an easy one, actually, because uh, it's it seems that pretty much all the mi- mining companies are on par. All the big mining companies are pretty close to each other. BHP, Evraz, there's not substantial there's not a substantial difference but there is there are differences obviously and broadcom i found that i didn't think it had any direct competitors that had more resources although it does have competitors that could eat up its market share so um Mm -hmm. so it was no yes no with broadcom being the yes uh but uh yeah again i find it hard i find i find some of these questions hard to really nail down just the the wording of them Okay, so the next question in competition is, is the company free of any disruptive upstarts that are visibly challenging its business model? So basically we've assessed the companies that are bigger, that could take the market share, and now we're assessing the smaller upstarts that are coming to steal bits of business or revolutionize the industry or whatever it is that um, these disruptive growth companies do. So, Paul, yep. do you want to take us off? Nanox, uh, a no, um, because it is that company, essentially. Um, so I, I kept that as a no. So, uh, so it's free of, so it's a Oh, yes. yeah, sorry. It's, yeah, that makes it's it a yes. yes. It does make it a yes, doesn't it? Oops. Um, and uh, Broadcom, I put down as a no, because uh, it is uh, disruptible. I think it does have a narrow mode. I looked at the Morningstar uh thing for this and uh, they described it as a narrow moat so they do see some disruption coming or potential disruption coming and it could uh and with rio tinto i had a yes so uh i did think of small mining companies here i didn't think of them as specifically challenging the business model as such but smaller upstart mining companies and I'm thinking of Tesla here, to be honest with you, with lithium. I'm thinking about how they plan on changing the mining, how they plan on changing boring. So I did put yes, but I would say it's a, it's not a fully understood yes, to be honest. Okay. And Steve, Landstar? Uh, I put yes. I mean, like uh, Nanox, I see Landstar as somewhat the disruptor here. They're not a major disrupting thing, but they are what they call asset lights. And they're a little bit like Uber for trucking, but if Uber made money instead of losing it all. Um, and if I think about kind of the main disruptor for the industry coming or the main industry change coming, it's things like self-driving trucks, I suppose. But since Landstar don't really own uh, or contract human uh, driving trucks, they only own the trailers and so on, I suspect they're a little bit indifferent to uh, exactly how that's getting pulled, whether that's by an automated uh, driven thing or by a human driven thing. So I put yes hmm. for this. Cool. 
Okay, last question in the competition section is um, would potential new competitors face high economic, technological or regulatory barriers to compete with the company? So I tend to think about this one as sort of like the layman thinking of if you as a taxi driver, would you be worried about self-driving coming in? Yes, but it does face very high regulatory and technological barriers for it to actually come into fruition. So in this one, you would say, even as a taxi driver, you would take that, yes, because self-driving, I think everybody here says, eventually will come. But it's not going to happen tomorrow, so the business has time. Uh, Do you want to take us Yeah, off? so this should be a yes for all three. I've just looked over it again. It probably should be a le yes for all three. Nanox uh, is the new thing with regulatory barriers. It needs to get its uh, FDA approval on, on its multi-band... Um, x-ray machine uh so that w I'm, I'm assuming that would be the yes and the other two uh are pretty much moti they're very very moti so um i put yes for the other two because i think it would economically take up an extreme amount of money to buy new fabs and also buy loads of new mining equipment so yes i would say there's a lot of barriers for that hmm. moat okay steve i think this come i think landstar is very moti and i've written okay. no because I don't think its moat comes from any of those three places particularly. I think where its moat comes from is having a big wide network and being already mm. entrenched in it. But I don't think that's an economic, technological or regulatory. Could be technological. Uh, I think that's... Could be technological. A little bit. I struggle to pin yeah. down exactly kind of what tech I think Landstar yeah. has got that uh, someone else couldn't have. Economic, maybe. I sort of wonder about that. But um, I put no because I don't think the moat comes from any of those places. And I will say... I changed that five minutes ago when I reread the question because I initially read this question <laughs> as does it have yeah. a moat, is there a barrier to entry and I thought yes, I do think there's barriers to entry but actually I don't think it's any of those three yeah. so I've written no. That's good. Okay, cool. So um, Broadcom, I think judging by my maths, has just wrapped up its first point of risk. Yeah. Um, <gasps> quite interesting to get this far with uh, without it but for those, uh, those not keeping score at home, Nanox is currently on nine uh, Broadcom is on one Rio Tinto is on four, and Landstar is also on four, I believe, if I'm if I'm calculating that correctly. Um, the stock is the next one, and again, these are pretty quick fire questions, so we can we can race through these. Um, does the company have a market cap of ten billion or more? And the reason that this is asked is simply that the larger the company is, the less risk it, it should theoretically have. Um, so do you want to kick us off, Steve, at Landstar? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Uh, it has no. a market cap of about six and that a quarter. That surprises me. I didn't know that. Yeah, that surprises me. me. All right. Mine's a no, yes, yes. Uh, I think you can tell which ones. Nanox has got to be about a one billion company at the minute. And the other two are absolutely fucking massive. So um, you can have them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question on the list is, is the stock's beta volatility less than 1.3? So beta volatility is just um, it's just a way of measuring how the stock moves in comparison to the market as a whole. Uh, and a movement of 1.3, I believe that means it moves 1.3 times yeah. the speed of the, the, the amount of the yeah. market. So um, in, you're looking for a stock that is less than that so that it's easier for you to hold. If it is more volatile than that, it doesn't mean that it's... Um, it's not a buy mm. it just means that it's going to be a more difficult stock to hold because the fluctuations are going to be so wild so going to Steve Landstar 
What's the uh, yes, this does have a lower beta. It has a beta of one. Uh, <laughs> so it moves exactly where the market does and how much. Just yeah. about. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised you went for 1.3. I'm surprised anyone's gone for 1.3 because I thought one would be the benchmark here. You'd be like, okay, is it less volatile or more volatile in the market? Nanox, new company, lots of excitement. Uh, I can't remember the beta, but it'd be stupidly high. It'd be like 1.8, something like that. And the other two, uh, Tictora, yes, I believe they were both around 0.8. So significantly less volatile than the market, which was I thought was quite interesting. The reason uh, I think this is 1.3, just to quickly tell you, I think because this originally is a question I've stolen from David Gardner at the Motley Fool, is uh, because he likes stocks that are slightly more volatile than the market. Because when the market goes up, the stock, in theory, will yeah. go up more, and he likes to beat the market. That's yeah, that's fair enough, and and it shows that they're exciting companies as well, right? I mean, I don't know what Tesla's beta is, but it's got to be something stupid right now as well. Yeah. Um, so it does show that they're they're interesting companies, or that they've they've got a lot of popularity. So I can see that. I can. I'm surprised it wasn't higher. Where where did you guys find the information? Just Google, well? straight Google. You can get a, you Googled can get a Google it. straight yeah, away. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Finviz is where I had a look, so they've got some interesting sort of stats, uh, including beta. Okay, cool. okay, does the stock have a positive P-E ratio below 30? So this is obviously above zero and below 30. Um, Steve, Landstar? Uh, yes, depending on whether you want the trailing one or the forward one. The trailing <laughs> one is just under 27, the forward one is just under 20. So yes to both. Very yep. good. Um, uh, Nanox? What's Nanox's uh, PE ratio? <laughs> no meaningful numbers, I think, is the official term on there. No meaningful number. So uh, it just doesn't make money, so it doesn't have a PE. And uh, I believe Broadcom's PE was 43 last time I checked, and Rio Tinto's was 9. So uh, Rio Tinto looking pretty cheap in that in that respect. But then I don't think it ever trades over sort of 9, 10 anyway. So it's... It's not likely to go any further, I don't think. Okay, cool. Okay, so we're on to the founders and uh, management. And um, these are two tricky questions to find the answers to, I found at mm. times, especially for some companies. Um, but do any of the founders still have more than a 5% share of the business? Now, generally, the first place I found to start with this is to Google the age of the business because if the business was started in 1837, <laughs> I can guarantee you You're taking my joke. Um, You're taking my joke. <laughs> oh, I am sorry. <laughs> so, um, Paul, do you want to kick uh, us off? Okay. I assume yeah, Nanox is Ran, isn't it? Ran Paul, Paul Lacane, or I can't remember his name. You, you'll know it better than I do. Um, he's well in it. Uh, he's balls deep in his own company still because he has to be. Uh, the Broadcom, I don't actually know if it's a 5% share, but what I had to do is I had to Google the two founders, both called Henry, by the way, I didn't know that, and, uh, and then go through the old insider trading and they, they generally sell, uh, it looks like they sell, uh, for their own, uh, income because it's only small amounts, but they are both in there. That's what I found. They're both still in there. I couldn't tell you if it was over 5% share of the business though, because I didn't actually look that far and rio tinto no because the founder of rio tinto died in 1893 so the answer is no there but i do believe the cao okay. is well deep and i think he's 
compensated by stock as well. Did, did you give Broadcom a yes or a no? Uh, Broadcom was a yes, but I didn't get I didn't get the number. I didn't get the five percent, so I don't know if that counts. Steve, how about Landstar? Uh, I've put no. I couldn't find this directly for a company the size of Landstar, but I tried to do it by uh, partly working out shares outstanding minus the float minus insider ownership and some other things, and I came to the conclusion that they probably don't. Interesting. Okay, cool. Um, do the top three officers have more than 15 years of leadership at the company? This is quite a subjective question. I think I had to go through this. It's hard. This is hard think, to do. I think he... I think he thought that it was 15 years each, but it's actually not. It's yeah. 15 years collectively, so when you add them together. The other thing is is that you'll load up the list of staff at these companies and you will see probably 40 people. But the idea is that you pick the three that you believe are the most suited, the most senior, the most important to the business. And then if they have 15 years of leadership at the company, you tick it off as a yes. So, Steve, do you kick uh, off? Yes, yeah, so I've, I've now put yes. Uh, for this I had initially put no because as Steve points out I said to him that well Landstar's recently changed its CFO which I considered to be one of the top three here but then I think we got thinking and thought that 15 years for each of your top three uh, uh, people there is is quite demanding on a company it's not often that that many people spend 15 years leading anything uh, much but uh, so I've I've gone for yes on the basis they do combined now yeah I've I've kind of interpreted interpreted it in a, a much further way as well because it says 15 years of leadership and i was trying to consider what leadership was and i didn't necessarily think that leadership was having the ceo or cfo role i did think that it could be lower down management as well so you know i did say yes for um nanox even though it's very hard to find that information to be honest with you uh for broadcom i said yes as well because a combination of how long some of the people in there have been together for x amount x amount of years it's like uh hot town was very new i think but some of the cfo and things like that have have been there a long time and they would uh, leadership wise it depends what you call leadership and that's that's one thing that got me so it's yes for all three but i didn't Again, it's an iffy yes because it's very hard to justify some of them and very hard to find out. I found this one very, very hard to do. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a tricky one to find out. Sometimes you can get it from the staff pages and the bio pages of the company website. That was where mm. I found it most times. Okay, so we're on to the sort of like specialist round now. So this is um, these are just sort of different questions really. This is the area that you can change these questions to suit your investing style. Um and the first one that I've got on the sheet is, is this a proven business with competent management and a strong balance sheet? Um, and I think this is, again, I think we can all tell why this is risky because if you're looking at this and thinking, well, I don't know if this business works. I don't know if that guy is capable of doing the job and there are absolutely, you know, pissing money away. Um, evidently, that is more risky than, you know, somebody who isn't Oldstone Motors. So... Um, <laughs> How did you uh, how did you score Landstar, Steve? I scored them as a yes. Uh, we already touched on the balance sheet a little bit, um, but one thing that kind of is a, a way of trying to measure management efficiency is stuff like returns on invested capital, which is basically how much money your company 
makes based on the money that they use, pretty much. Uh, and Landstar is one that fares very well. Uh, so companies with nearly no debt tend to fare very well in this regard. But um, Landstar's numbers are always well up there on this kind of thing. So I put this as yes. Okay, and for Nanox, it's very, very speculative. So I wrote a no. Um, with Broadcom, I wrote a yes because... Hocktown has a very, very good reputation for acquisitions. Acquisitions are very, very hard to get right. And Broadcom is a company that is well known to have broken that trend. It doesn't necessarily, it gets a lot of crap for non-organic growth, but the, the acquisitions it makes are organic growth companies, essentially. So I think, I think that, uh, yes for Broadcom. And I said yes for Rio Tinto as well, just because of the length of its business. Uh, but it does get into trouble every now and then by being in places it shouldn't be. So I think that's just a hazard of mining. Okay. Um, so the next question is, I mean, I'll, I'll let Paul answer this one straight off the bat because <laughs> um, he'll be able to give us some colour as to why this is an issue. But Paul, can the company survive a binary outcome? And what is a binary outcome, Paul? Yeah, I like this because binary outcome, I, I feel like you could make this more user-friendly maybe with binary outcome but binary outcome is a zero one yes or no answer and nanox is this is why we included nanox in this uh this risk calculator because nanox's biggest risk is whether it can get fda approval on its new machines it basically has to find out if it, if the fda will let them trade if it says no that's it the business is going it's going to the ground. There's no chance that this business will go. And this makes companies inherently risky. There's a couple of other companies out there that have been getting a lot of a lot of attention on YouTube just because of these binary outcomes. Workhorse is the one that sticks out to me. And I freaking hated Workhorse all the way up to uh, the USPS contract. And it was all based around yes or no. Are they going to get the USB, USPS contract or not? And the answer was no. And we saw what it did to the uh, the, the stock price. It saw, we've seen what it's done to Lordstown Motors now as well. It's absolutely stupid that you would possibly pump a stock based on a binary outcome. And that's what we've got with Nanox right now. Uh, so this is, uh, you have to point out, this is extremely risky. Like any money that you get in into this stock uh, could go completely wrong if the FDA approvals don't go right. Um, but um, the other two, Broadcom and Rio Tinto, this is all about diversifying your income streams, diversifying your revenue streams. If you have a lot of income coming from different uh, sources, then you're probably going to be a yes on this one. Okay. And Steve, Lanstar? It's reasonably well concentrated in terms of its kind of revenues, but I don't see a kind of FDA approval style thing that would worry them here, so I put yes. Um, so this question, um, and I hope you both answered no to it because you, you are supposed <laughs> to. Is this company fault-free and fraud-free in all of its corporate statements and in all of its actions? And do you know this to be certain? Now, I hope you realize that that question is worded in a way to make you realize that all stocks are inherently risky and you don't know when somebody's cooking the books. Um, even if you even if you look at the you know the statements and this they seem like they aren't the mm -hmm. is always an inherent risk that people are so i'm going to assume um 
but you let me know otherwise there should be nerves across the board <laughs> I've written no I feel like in some cases there's a bigger danger than others so in time uh, I feel like some CEOs are more prone to making false statements in their public uh, addresses than other ones but mm-hmm. I mean there is always a possibility that you just see something like a wire card because who the hell was supposed to see that coming right uh, so this feels like a good mm. question to just keep you aware of that yeah, and, there's, and don't get me wrong, there's some big companies which are obviously committing fraud and they get fined for it and then that's it and no one really talks about it anymore. So some some companies do survive this as well. So there there is that, but yeah, you're right. We need to be reminded every now and then that stocks are inherently risky and you don't know what's going on behind them doors. Cool. Um, so this one's an interesting question. So it's... Do I want to know more about this company? Now, there are companies that you're invested in that I think you'll be really interested in finding out and reading all the news about. But there will also be companies in your portfolio that will be the last thing you read about. You're not interested (laughs) in the stock. Well, you're interested in stock performance, maybe, but are you really interested in the business? And that is inherently risky because it stops you paying attention to the stock with the same level of detail that you do to something that you're interested in. So, Steve, are you interested in Landstar? Yes, I am. And uh, here's the kind of evidence that supports that particular thing. So uh, one of the ways I try and keep track of certain stocks is by setting up Google Alerts to tell me what's going on with them into my inbox. I don't do this with my entire portfolio because it would spam my inbox too much and I'd never get around to reading them all. So I usually do it with about four at any one time. Uh, Even before I did this calculator, Landstar was on my um, keep me updated list. Send me emails about what people are saying about it. So I put yes. Okay, Paul, Thanos. I like this one. I really, I really like this one because I like the spread I've got with my companies here that to to sort of prove it, like with some good evidence. And uh, of course, with Nanox, yes, I want to know everything about Nanox. I want to know. It's exciting. Who doesn't want to be part of a company that could possibly change the world for the better for millions of people around the world? And that is a company that you want to know a lot more about. Broadcom also, I'm very interested in what they're doing and, and how they're going to advance and how they're going to, where the growth is coming from in that company. Because while it does pay a high dividend, it's a big cash flow heavy company, it does have a growth story as well. It's got a very good growth story. So that's something I wanted to know about. And Rio Tinto, I was starting to think maybe it's better to just be the opposite. Maybe I don't want to know as much as I want to, as I think I want to know about, uh, about Rio Tinto. Sometimes some of these companies are so big and you know, this, uh, you know, they're going to be around, you know, they're going to continue, you know what the business model does, but they're doing some really shitty things and that's going to make you think. And sometimes uh, this is just like a narrative that I was thinking of was, Maybe sometimes you don't want to know about some of the things that are going on in the company. If you're invested in Boeing right now, you don't really want to know some of the crappy things that they've done. But you do know, you do want to know more about their financials and their uh, their their statements and what what's going on with the bit the underlying business itself. Because I think people have a very strong growth and very strong return. Co- uh, story for something like Boeing. So maybe in that case and in Rio Tinto's case, maybe not listening to the news so much is a pretty good idea. And uh, as long as you look at the financial statements, you know it's a mining company, it's got X amount of mines, they're going to last this this uh, many years. As long as you know that, you go, okay, 
uh, financial statements is all I need to know. So I put a no for Rio Tinto because it's boring as hell. Who wants to look into mines? Oh my I god! I did the same thing with Southern Copper. So I'm interested in the things that they do every day, but I'm not interested in anything else. And I think the question, the yep. key word in that question is more. Do I want to know more about them? And the answer to that was no, not not for Southern <laughs> Copper. No. Okay, next question. This one is a Marvel reference. So, um, there you go. Um, I had to explain this one to Steve because I don't believe he's seen uh, Avengers. But um, quite famously in the film, um, Thanos, after he collects the... What are the stones called? The Infinity Stones, is it? Yeah, uh, I, think I think it's... it's infinity. I haven't stones. seen it either, by the way. And he puts them in the glove and he clicks his fingers and uh, I think it's two-thirds of the world disappears. And that's the idea, really. It's called the snap test. So does your company pass the snap test? If Thanos was to click his fingers and your company disappeared, would you know? Would the uh, people who use it be severely affected? Steve, do you want to kick uh, it off? I like uh, no, they wouldn't. In my case, I think um, they would. You know, they'd have to do something slightly differently, but not severely. I think Ch Robinson or XBO Logistics or Schneider National or someone else would probably pick up that slack. Uh, so it might be slightly worse for them, but severely affected? No, not really. Just to say, the risk in this is not that Thanos is going to get the Infinity Stones and click his fingers. <laughs> the risk is that, you know... People will realise they can live without value. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah it gives yeah, you or they value. could go somewhere else. Yeah, it helps you understand the value yeah. of, of, of just how sticky those customers are. Go on, Paul. Yeah, uh, Nanox, uh, I couldn't answer it. I couldn't answer it because we do live in a world without Nanox's products right now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I couldn't. it couldn't be answered. So it, it was a no. Um, Broadcom, I went with yes because Broadcom. I I think about Broadcom's hard hard to get into here because there's a lot of things in their business. Fifty percent of their business comes from uh, networking and data and stuff like that. So I don't think I think that could be picked up quite well. But particularly in the mobile phone business and in the and in the networking, I'll give it the networking as well. There aren't companies that can do what Broadcom does in that in that space. So other companies are trying, but they're severely inferior in this sense. So I gave it a yes because I don't think we there's anybody else out there with the technology to do this yet or, or do some of the things or the expertise to do some of the things. With Rio Tinto, yeah, they'll get people will get their mining stuff from elsewhere. If Rio Tinto went bust tomorrow, I think all of its almost all of its assets would be completely bought up. Mm-hmm. So that's a, Rio Tinto's no from me because it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you get your stuff from. Their their moat is comes from their startup costs and the just the sheer amount of assets that they own. And uh, but Broadcom uh, the Broadcom was harder to do. Broadcom was much harder to do. Gave it a yes. But I imagine there's a lot more technology companies that are coming forward and could. Um, they're basically saved by their IP and their expertise in this one. Cool. Okay, second to last question. Uh, and the last question I'll just put in is a dud. So we probably won't even need to ask it. But we'll, we'll see. Um, do you believe this management team is the right team to lead the business? Now, this was a tough question for me because... I don't invest in companies that I don't think the management team is the right team to lead the business. So for me, yeah. across all of my stocks that I ran this on, this was a yes across the board. Different for you guys? No, it wasn't. Um, I invest in all of these these three companies and 
I thought that even if I did think the opposite, it has to be a yes, just just for sheer like, it, you know, just for sheer uh, facade and and f- you know front window. It's it has to be a yes. Unfortunately, you've got to think that this CEO is the right place. If you think that CEO is just an absolute dick, what are you in the company for? Why are you owning that business? Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, unless you're some sort of activist, I suppose, uh, which none of us is. Um, but yeah. Uh, I also put yes. I thought it was quite similar to the first question in this round. I had myself thinking about the sort of management twice over here, and I thought, yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the kind of Landstar management. I think they've most. Uh, we talked about the top three, but uh, most of those have been there for a decent amount of time, and I think they're doing a good job. So yeah. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of sort of mm-hmm. nuance between um, be- between competent management and the right team to lead the business. I think you can have competent managers who maybe aren't expansive enough to make this business shine. And I think that's kind of what that question is trying to get at. So we'll move on to the last question. And this one should be a no across the board. Uh, it's another one of those questions that is thrown in there to make you aware of the geographic, uh, political and, well, other macro risks um, that affect all stocks. And the question is, can you be certain that the company is invulnerable to all external world or macro external events? And I'm going to say you guys said no to everything here. I did say no. I said no on this because uh, we just got whacked by COVID. In fairness, the business survived pretty well uh, as a result of COVID, but it did, it's not invulnerable to it in the sense that you know, income numbers went down and stuff. Can you think of any? I've been trying to wrap my brain and I've been trying to think of any where I could sit and go, is this? Is well, this... I guess you're looking for something that is your favourite, your new favourite word, which I suppose is anti-fragile. So mm. anti-fragility meaning things go better when there's chaos or something like that. So something that would really come into its own in a kind of chaotic situation. Uh, nothing jumps out at me in that regard. No, but really maybe struggling. that's the place to start looking for these sorts of things. Yeah, really, really struggling because even if you magically came up with a company that was designed to deal with disasters and it made a lot of money when there was a disaster, then technically it wouldn't make a lot of money when there wasn't a disaster. Or, you know, if we managed to get world peace, then, uh, yeah, I mean, I was, try- I was trying to think of something and I, and I couldn't even get close. That was the problem is I couldn't even get the close to The idea is that it. there isn't anybody. That's the idea. I know, I, I know, but we we can try as an exercise to. Mm. I was trying as an exercise to even get close. I mean, you think of Google, it's going to get. But then up. antitrust is yeah. antitrust is on its ass right now, right? And so, uh, I don't know. I couldn't really think of anything. Um, okay, well, do you want me to give you the yeah, final scores? Um, I think I'll probably have Go different scores it. to Paul because Paul put yes in some answers when he meant no. <laughs> but I work it as uh, the lowest risk stock that we've talked about today is Broadcom which had a risk score of 4 out of 25 which is exceptionally low Um, I only got a couple that scored that that kind of score Um, Mm. then we have Rio and Landstar that I have tied on 9 I hope that's right Um, and Rio is probably 10 is that Rio's probably 10 I may have missed I may have missed one somewhere because your your microphone died on me at one point um, and yeah. then I have Nanox way out in front with 17 at the moment. Um, that was the one that had to convert some yeses to noes when you, you, yeah. you said the question. But that, Nanox there, would that scoring as an exceptionally risky score. Um, 
So that is something that you would want to, you know, um, we're not saying not invest in these companies because none, this isn't here to show you whether something is investable or whether something isn't investable. It's just so that you understand the risks you are taking on when you do invest in that company. And, and obviously, the it's not advice because we're, we're not allowed to give you advice. But if I was buying that company, I would allocate accordingly. And I am buying that company. I am allocating accordingly. Mm. So we're coming up to yeah. uh, just over an hour. So do you want to do a quick, quick bit on the limitations of this, and um, and then we'll wrap it up. So I'll give you kind of three thoughts on this, then that are my kind of three major takeaways from this. I'll start with the thing I really liked about it. This encouraged me to dig deeper into companies that I own and am buying in ways that I wouldn't have otherwise, and I know that I should yeah. do. So looking at where their revenue stream is diversified, looking at the amount of time the management's been in charge, all that kind of thing I tend to be a little bit lazy on. Doing this encouraged me to get right into that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a big positive there, definitely worthwhile exercise for me on this kind of thing. Yeah, it's like, it's like uh, sometimes you don't the, yeah. think about it, right? Sometimes you just, these things you just don't think about. You kind of look at them and go, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get onto the CEO later. And we, we always say, you know, you should at least try to know some of these CEOs, even though I will, will say, I don't know all of them. I've been trying to learn and I can't think of them all off the top of my head. But um, yeah, it's it, it's telling you the things that you, you might not have already thought about. I think in some, some of the questions in this are inherent, uh, inherently just obvious. Like economic moat is one that you always just think about. People, even the simplest investor thinks about moat, I think. I think even though they might not realize it, they think of McDonald's and go, okay, what's, what makes you, McDonald's unique? What's its USP? So I think people do inherently think about moat, but this, this lets you really think and go, what, what makes this a moat? Okay. What else did you have for Steve? Number two. Uh, main limitation I had then was that this I found this thing quite granular so because they're binary outcomes yes or no that means two things number one is you might answer no for two companies while feeling much more strongly about one than the other so in terms of I said I talked about before about kind of openness with statements and that sort of thing I can't know for certain in any case that my CEO is not lying there are some cases where I'm more confident than others and this treats all of them as equal by putting no in all of those cases um I found on that very slightly different to you, maybe, because I go very, very conservative. And I think on some of the ones where maybe the question was a little bit hard to read or uh, had, had, had a much more of a subjective outcome, maybe on those you should choose the least risky and then that gives you less risk. Or, sorry, choose the more risky and that should give you the more risk. And, and that... Mm in turn allows you to take less risk so i did think that it it makes it being the yes or no the binary yes or no makes it makes you forces you to make a decision that you should have taken rather than letting your own pre risk premium sort of come in and go okay i want that to go a bit better yeah i, I thought the yes no was quite good for that actually the idea I was going to say is it is cookie cutter, and that's my big issue with it. Is I think that it's very much, you know, put put your stock in, and everybody comes out with a score at the end. But you're asking questions that aren't specific to the industry, and it, it, some companies can have very industry specific risk and industry specific hmm. um, things that make them less risky. Uh, and that's one of the trickier 
um, question, uh, one of the more trickier parts. The, the good thing is there's the specialised questions at the bottom. You can actually swap them out. Um, if, if you don't invest in stocks that have binary outcomes, then that question is pointless. Whip it out and have a uh, have a question in there that more suits the, uh, the you know the sort of stocks that you invest in. That that's the idea behind the specialized questions at the end. What have you got for us on number three, Steve? Final thought, and I don't know whether this is a positive or a negative about it. To be honest, it might just be that I need to rethink my way of uh, thinking about risk, and that's what this shows. But I mentioned that Landstar was a stock I was interested in looking at for, uh, from a risk perspective, and the reason for that is I have a sense that I might have overpaid here. Um, I think it's a really good business. The question is whether I've got it at the right price in this kind of situation. It feels to me like I was at the very high end and a little bit talking myself into thinking this price is okay. Uh, there is a thing here on PE. Uh, Landstar actually came out all right on uh, price earnings here in a certain way. Um, that's obviously one uh, contributor to a field of about 25 or so, and it's weighted equally to all those other contributors uh, at 25 or so. So, I mean, maybe it's a case that I get a bit too hung up on price when I'm thinking about risk here, and I need to just keep in mind that, look, risk is much broader than that. Risk occurs in all these other kind of uh, things that we've talked about here a little bit. Or maybe it's the, the kind of yes-no underweight overpaying for stuff. Um, I'm not sure. Cool. Yeah, I like I like the mix of quantitative and qualitative here it's there's a you know there's it it makes you look at both because uh, sometimes value investors get very very caught up in the numbers and they try to find the right metrics and if all the metrics fit the model then it's a buy 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 and a company like intel right now is very very hard to invest in because we just don't know we've got we've got a company that is hitting every metric perfectly uh, cash flow, price, all all the metrics are going well. But then we've got this qualitative side, which do we know if it's going to bring in the three nanometer chip, or do we know its data centers are actually very moty, or is Nvidia's new little ARM chip for the data centers is that going to come in and just eat up the entire network? Do we know these things? And some people confidently know that Intel's dead. Some people are very, very outspoken about that and they know that Intel's dead. Some people on the other side go, Intel has been around for a long time and uh, it will continue to do and it will out-innovate eventually. Uh, and it's got the money and cash to do so. So uh, I like that this does spread across that a little bit and uh, it answers or it forces you to ask a lot of these questions where you might not. I saw an interesting topic just really quickly on. Um, it was I was listening to a podcast on synthetic biology, and they were saying that it follows a very similar law to that the semiconductor system that followed Moore's law essentially, in that each iteration allows you to get to the next iteration, because you know you you develop a better computer which allows you to develop a better computer which develops, you. and that the issue is is that when you fall behind on Moore's law, is that uh, your competitors that are now in front of you start to accelerate mm. and they become exponentially further mm. away which makes it harder and harder for them to catch up the issue with that is that intel has been behind before and intel has caught back up and there's nothing to say that yeah. intel can't catch up again but it's just one of those things now it's you know you run that through the, it would be interesting to run that through the risk calculator because i feel like it will come out more risky than you thought yeah and it yeah it would i think because of 
how because of the story that's behind intel at the moment but i've heard lots of things i mean we're just talking about intel here for a second but i've actually heard that it's 10 nanometer chip is just as good as the 7 nanometer chip and it actually already has plans for the 3 nanometer chip already going so while this news has set them behind it actually might not be behind moore's law as much as what kathy wood says it is so, and that I'm sorry, that's so hard for somebody who's outside of the world to really understand. It, I, that's hard for even Cathie Wood's analysts to understand. I don't, without being inside that company, inside that room that is making whatever size chip it is and adding that new thing, you don't know. You're pretty much just guessing at this point. And I find that hard with Intel. That's why, I can't, that's why I'd love to go into Intel, but I can't because I don't. I don't understand. I don't understand the business that well. I thought I was really getting ahead on it when I started to understand the difference between ARM and x86 and uh, trying to differentiate where all of their customers and where people actually buy their products are from. But uh, when it comes down to it, it's Moore's Law and there ain't no one who knows the answer to that one, unfortunately. Uh, so and that's it. We, I think we're going to wrap up there. Thank you very much for listening to that one. That one's been quite a long one quite a lot of detailed information in there i i think we're gonna we'll probably lose a few people in the first five minutes on that one but uh hopefully if you stuck around to the end on this one thank you very much for listening and hope this might be uh interesting to you to actually use this tool which steve has developed it's uh like i said it's be in the link in the description below and we'll be talking about it a lot on the discord i think uh it'll it, it'll be in the resources section of the discord probably much earlier than this podcast actually comes out it's probably already in there already uh so thank you very much for listening today uh we're available on youtube uh spotify apple google all of your podcasting things please feel free to leave us a rating leave us some comments and questions about the tool in the uh description below no it's not in the description it's in the comment section below Ah, uh, you can tell this is live, right? And uh, thank you very much for watching, guys. And we'll see you again next week. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. I'm amazed how many people own stocks. The sucker's going up. <laughs>